Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you so much for being here this morning. We are excited about our experience of focusing together, engaging together in worship of the creator of the universe, the one who loves you unconditionally and expresses that through his son, Jesus Christ. So this morning, if this is the very first Sunday you've been here, we'd love for you to take the guest card from the pew in front of you, fill it out in its entirety, and when you leave, if you would just drop it in one of the offering boxes, we would certainly appreciate that. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for the time and the opportunity. And God, we have come to worship you as the choir has led us this morning already. We want to give you the glory. For Father, you are the audience of one. And this morning, we want to, through every single aspect and element of worship, we want to acknowledge that you are the creator. And that you are the God who has loved us unconditionally. And no matter what we've done or where we've come from, that God, you love us. For the scripture tells us that Jesus Christ didn't die just for his friends, but also his enemies. And Father, without Christ, with sin in our life, we were the enemies. But for those of us who have given our lives to Christ, Lord, you have taken that sin away. You have given us life everlasting, and you've given us life abundant here. And I pray in this service this morning, God, we would show that abundance. The smiles on our faces, joy in our heart, joining together and singing songs of the faith, hearing your scriptures and the prayers, and Father, the study of your word today. And so I pray that we will experience your presence this morning. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Isn't it wonderful to have Marilyn back today on the organ? Yeah. <laughs> After surgery, she has been healing, and I know you have been praying for her, and I know she appreciates that. Lord, I lift your name on high. Would you stand as we sing together?
of our hearts be acceptable to you, O oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We feel your presence, Lord, among us even now. Thank you for the power that you bring. You are such an awesome and wonderful God, a God of healing, a God of mercy, a God of grace. And, oh, Heavenly Father, God of love, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. And Lord, we love you, the love that's above anything and everything that we can imagine, that agape love that you tell, tell us about. Now, Lord, we pray as we go in the furtherance of our worship service, we might feel your presence, that, that your will might be done in our lives, even now. In your holy name we ask it. Amen. <clears throat> tell it, tell it out with gladness. God's good news to every man. Let's sing.
Besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those that want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let them warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. These are the words of the Lord.
such a sweet sound, and words that are true. How do we know that people need the Lord? In a recent survey by Pew Research, November of 2021, 73% of people in the United States said they believe in heaven. 62% said they believe in hell. One in six Americans do not believe that there's an afterlife. And four in ten believe that people who do not believe in God can still go to heaven. There is a lot of confusion about heaven and hell. We live in a time period that is a smorgasbord of just kind of picking and choosing whatever you want to believe to make it your own belief. The problem with that is that there's, there's not a sense of authority about that. And I think the stats that I've just mentioned is a good reason why we need to share the gospel of Christ. If you remember, last week I spoke out of Matthew chapter 9, and verse 35 said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. There was a reason why Jesus preached the good news of the kingdom. Because people needed to hear it. There are great reasons, because obviously it betters our life. It gives us that relationship back with the Father once we give our life to Christ again. But there's also this idea and this understanding that from the very beginning, once sin entered the world, there was a separation between us and God. And that separation in this life, it is noticeable. Individuals understand that. They may not have a total concept of it, but I want you to understand that in the afterlife, it will be profound, that separation. And so this morning I wanted to talk about a topic that is rarely, rarely talked about in an entire sermon, but I think it's critical to the reason that we share the gospel of Christ and how critical it is for each and every one of us to do that and to build relationships and to share what Jesus has done. 62% believe in hell. Yet there's not 62% of the population of the United States going to heaven, to our knowledge, from their own admissions. My question today is, is there really a hell? Because if there's not really a hell, then there's not a need to preach the good news of the kingdom. Now, I believe that there is a hell. I'm not happy about it. In fact, God's not happy about it. But the reality is that that is a place that has been set aside, and I believe, myself, a literal place. Now, how do I know this? Well, just by observation, you can see it in the way that people use hell as a measuring rod for suffering. 
I don't know if you've ever heard this. I have. It says, man, it is hotter than hell today. <laughs> don't be offended by that. Hell is a place the Bible speaks of. But do you understand what the person is saying? In their mind, hell is the apex of suffering. And so when they try to do comparison, automatically they're saying, listen, hell is the apex of suffering, it's the measuring stick, it's the measuring rod, it's that point where we say, wow, that is the worst of the worst. I've seen it in the way people try to rationalize hell, or try to use it as a symbolism through the, the passage of death. They say, well, you know, the reality in hell, you just burn up. Others say, well, you know, hell really is just the grave. Others say that it's just annihilation, it's to cease to exist. And then there are those bold ones who say, ah, you know what, it's going to be okay because I'll just party with my friends there. <laughs> I've seen it in the way that atheists deny it. If atheists were so sure that there were not a hell, they would not feel the necessity to argue and debate the fact so vigorously. They argue because they're trying to convince themselves that they're right, and the more people that they can bring on their side makes them feel better and justified that what they are saying is correct. On one occasion, Colonel Robert G. Ingersoll, an agnostic lecturer in the 19th century, announced that he was going to give an address on hell. He said, I will prove conclusively that hell was a wild dream of some scheming theologian who invented it to terrify people. And so as he was launching into a subject that evening, a half-drunk man in the audience stood up and said, Make it strong, Bob. There's a lot of us poor fellows out here depending on you, because if you're wrong... We're all lost. So you better prove it clear and plain. This acknowledgement that we're lost. We're separated from God. More recently, in the book, The Grand Design, co-written by the late Stephen Hawkins, a brilliant physicist and mathematician, before his death, this most intelligent man wrote this. He said, There is no God as we imagine it, and there is no life after death of the body. One of the smartest people in the world. I would propose to you from my perspective that if Stephen Hawkins could share with you today, he would have a completely different story. You see, no amount of reasoning can nullify God's sure word, what he communicates very clearly. He spoke in it plainly. He spoke as plainly of hell in the scriptures as he did heaven in the scriptures. Hell for those who choose to reject his son Jesus Christ as God's lifeline to us that we might have life everlasting as well as the life abundant here. Heaven 
for those who have given their life to Christ and come back into a right relationship with the Father. But he's given us the free will to choose. So, let's talk about what the Bible says about hell. Luke chapter 16, we read the story. You can view that a lot of different ways. But I have a very strong belief that Jesus was trying to communicate very clearly that the separation from God for eternity is the absolute worst thing you could ever imagine, and even beyond that. I think probably the first thing we ought to do is, is though, ask the question is if we can take Luke and that gospel that he wrote seriously. What I believe is that Luke as a physician, was trained in research and analyzation. He traveled many years with the Apostle Paul. He researched as he traveled, he perceived, he, he uh, preserved, and he analyzed all of the information, all of the experiences from the eyewitnesses to Paul to the people who came to know Christ through Paul's ministry. So from my perspective, I think we can depend upon Luke. The second question that I think needs to be asked is, can this parable, it is, is it or should it be labeled as symbolism? Symbolism. Or should it be taken literally? Well, Jesus told the parable. There's a reason why he told the, the, uh, the parable. And with a lot of parables, every single detail you can't just take a, a literal point of that. It's got a point to it. And I believe that as I read this parable, that what the point that Jesus was trying to get across was not something of symbolism, but something of reality that we need to take seriously in our heart. In Luke 16 and verse 19, the first part, he says, there was a rich man. It shows a sense of reality. Jesus was being very descript in that. He wanted to give an understanding that here was this man who depended on himself and what he had. I believe that in this passage there are seven lessons about hell that we need to take to heart. And I believe that they are lessons that Jesus is trying to communicate very clearly. Number one, hell is a place of torment. In Luke 16, 23, the Bible says in Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and he saw Abraham far away. That word Hades uh, has the idea, I know the King James Version translates it hell, it actually has the idea of this shadowy place, a dark abode. It's the unknown, it's mysterious, it's what, it's what the ancients in the Old Testament going into the New Testament, they didn't understand the concepts. So Jesus wanted to relate so this was, a, this was not a good place. He uses the term torment. In Hades, where he, talking about the rich man, was in torment, the word torment carries the idea of torture. Some of the examples of torture in the day of Jesus were things like dragging around heavy chains, near starvation, excessive labor, body tortures that Jesus himself would go through when he would be heading to the cross. 
Some of the ancients used this particular word to describe the rack. The rack. You can just imagine a man on the rack stretched until his joints pull apart. What conjures up in my mind is Braveheart. You've ever seen that movie? I can't imagine being in that kind of agony and that kind of pain. You see, hell is not a place that you're just going to be able to enjoy your friends. It's a place of darkness, of mystery, of dark abode, uncertainty. That's just with the idea, the Old Testament idea of Hades. In Mark chapter 9, verse 48, the scripture defines it as where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched. There's kind of a shift here, because in Mark, it has the idea of the Jerusalem garbage dump, the Valley of Henna. The Gehenna fire is one translation of a Greek word that specifically is defined as hell. If you were to go out to the, uh, the Jerusalem garbage dump in that day and time, you would head out to the Valley of Henna, and that's where they threw all their trash. It's where they threw their dead livestock, sacrifices that were made. That's where it was. And so the people, in the day that Jesus is communicating this parable, automatically they can imagine, oh, the garbage dump, yes. It's a place that the fires are going 24 hours a day to take care of the garbage. It's a place where the worms and the maggots continue to eat upon the flesh of the dead animals that are thrown over there, and it is consistent. It doesn't change. Some people don't like to hear about hell. They don't like the description of hell. But Jesus is trying to communicate to us something very, very important. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 11, in the relation to what I've just spoken about, it says, And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever, and there will be no rest day or night. Describing those that are separated from God for eternity. The smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. You understand how long ever and ever is? <laughs> A long time. It doesn't end. There's no relief. Sometimes in this life, we, we get to the place where we have, we have so much pain and so much suffering going on that, that we, we say, man, I, I just am ready to go to the other side. I'm ready for Jesus to come back. Why? To, to eliminate that suffering that we're in. When you're separated from God in eternity, there is no end in that kind of suffering. In Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15, the scripture says, Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is, is the second death. Anyone whose names was not found in the book of life, was thrown 
into the lake of fire. Perpetual torment, and suffering, and anguish, and pain. I can't imagine. I've I, I burned my hands before. It was painful. And I was really glad there were some aloe vera plants around. <laughs> but can you imagine being burned but never burning up? Hell is a place of torment. Secondly, he says that hell is a place of fire. I've mentioned some of those, some of those passages, but you know, there's, as you go through the New Testament, you're, we're not always certain what fire means, but in this particular passage, we do. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 24, the rich man says, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. There will be some theologians who will try to figure out a way to put this in some kind of symbolism to try to ease it. And I don't know why you would do that. Jesus is getting across that you don't want to be in that place. It is a place of torment. Just give me a, a drop of water. It gives an idea that being separated from God for eternity is is the worst that could ever happen. Third, we find that hell is a place of terror. In verse 24, he says, I am in agony in this fire. There's, there's probably a lot of us here today that are tender-hearted. You know, we, we have hearts that are, we, we, we see animals that are hurt and we want to take them in. We want to help them. We, we want to do whatever we can. We see compassionate with people that are going through difficult times. We just want to help. He says here, I'm in agony. That breaks our heart. Our heart wants to move that direction, to do whatever we can to help. The words here indicate a person boiling over in fear. Do you remember when you had the greatest fear in your life? Do you remember that? Sometimes we don't want to go back to that thought. Mine, I think, came uh, when I was in high school. And my dad and I had, uh, and our family, we were camping at Lake Heron in northern New Mexico. And uh, my dad and I decided to go fishing. We had about a 12-foot boat, this little 25-horsepower motor on it. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Lake Heron before or not, but uh, those storms can come up quickly. It's right over the mountains, and boy, just go right into that, uh, that lake. It's not a big lake, but um, we were out catching fish. We were catching fish after fish, and, and my dad saw the clouds coming up, and he said, son, we probably need to wrap this up, but we kept catching fish. <laughs> and that's what we were out there for. And all of a sudden, that storm came in, and those waves, that little 12-foot boat, came up to three and four feet high. And, um, man, one of those waves hit the back of that boat. 
And that 25 horsepower motor went straight up in the air about 10 feet and right into the water. My dad didn't chain it in. <laughs> and he, he got up quickly. He got to the oars. And he was doing everything he could to keep, to keep the front of that boat cutting through those waves. And I thought to myself, as I was in the front of the boat trying to keep it down, I said, I am scared to death. My heart was in my throat. I was frozen, paralyzed. And I said, I guess this is it. Those are a lot of waves for a little boat. Pretty easy to turn over in the middle of the lake. But you know what happened? I imagine that God heard my plea. Because here came one of those lake patrols. And they came up right beside us in their good-sized boat. The first thing I wanted to do was jump into that big boat. <laughs> well, they said, no, no, you need to stay in your boat. And they gave us the rope, and side by side, they took us right on in to the shore. In my mind, saved my life, my dad's life. But I'll tell you what, I don't think I have been so scared in my life in that moment. Agony, fear, terror. Consistently, that's what it would be like separated from God in this place that God, God's presence will not be. Fourth, the scripture tells us that hell is a place of hopelessness. In verse 26 of Luke 16, says, Abraham says, Between us and you, a, gate, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor anyone cross from over here to you. A great chasm, that word chasm means it's unbridgeable. It's a deep cleft in the earth. It's a, it's a, it's a marked division or separation you're not going to get from one side to the other. So when a person dies, your final destination has been set. And if you're separated from God and you chose not to accept Christ as your Savior, then you're over here. You can't figure out a way to get over to heaven. The chasm's too much. It's too wide. He used the, the term set in place or fixed, I think, in the King James Version. It has this idea that, that the chasm is fixed. It's set in place. It can't be moved. There, there's no manipulation. There's no flexibility. You have that idea of, of set in place. It's firm. It's immovable. Have you ever read Dante's The Inferno? <coughs> that is that... Uh, Immortal drama of the journey through hell. On page 42, he, uh, there's a sign. And Dante writes, I am the way into the city of woe, to a forsaken people and eternal sorrow. Abandon all hope, ye who enter here. It doesn't sound like a place I'd want to be. Abandon all hope.
The greatest hopelessness, I think, is seeing heaven right there as the rich man saw Lazarus. Lazarus didn't even have a concept that the rich man was there. It was the rich man who saw Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, the idea of this eternal paradise. And so I think the greatest hopelessness would be to see heaven and all the good things that heaven is going to provide, but knowing that you will never be able to participate. Torment and hopelessness. Fifth, he says, hell is a place of memories. In Luke 16, 25, he says, Son, remember. Remember. Remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. His good things were the uh, material things, the opportunities. The Bible, Jesus said he was a rich man. He lived a luxurious life. Lazarus was the one that was set by his gate whatever crumbs he could get. But the thing that hit me here was, he said, son, remember. And when you're separated from God for eternity, it's not just this blank process of darkness and being separated and not thinking at all. It is this idea of remembering, remembering every opportunity that you had Remembering the truths of Scripture that you never embraced. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, you will remember this morning forever and ever if you would choose not to embrace Christ. And that's true of your friends and your family and those that Jesus says to those of us who are believers, that's why I want you to go and preach the good news of the kingdom. One man said, one of the horrors of hell is the undying memory of a life misspent. Son, remember. The next one is probably a little surprising. Hell is a place of prayer. Here we find that the, uh, in verse 24, the rich man called to him, to Abraham. In verse 27, it says, then I beg you, the King James Version says, I, I pray thee. It's a concept of calling out. When we pray, we call out to God. We cry out to him sometimes. We, we are in need. We do everything we can to get his attention. And so here we have this rich man, and he's crying out. But let me say this, that in eternity, if you're separated from God, when you cry out, there will be no affirming answer. There will be no one to hear. There will be no one to listen. You will be by yourself in this utter darkness and the contrast of the fire. 
And last, hell is a place of mission-mindedness. Really? How do you get that? Latter part of verse 27 and 28, the rich man said, Send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. He came to realize, the rich man did, that he was separated. The chasm was too big. He was separated from the Father. But he had hope. He had hope for his brothers. He said, I, I don't want them to come here. And so he used that incredible word, send. Send Lazarus. And is that not what God has communicated to us? Go. Go and tell. That's what he's told us. Because God doesn't want anyone to suffer in eternity separated from him. He doesn't want that. Let me tell you, those in hell are deeply concerned about your salvation, at least reading this passage the way that I'm reading this morning. And I wonder how concerned you are with the people in your neighborhood. It, it is more comfortable to get together with the family of faith, with friends from the church to do things. It's a whole lot more comfortable to do that, I promise you. but we have got to figure out ways to reach out to our neighbors and our friends. Find ways to get into the fabric of this community and the place where you live for the very purpose of having concern for them. Hell is not just an afterthought. Hell is not a, 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 an opportunity to say, well, you know what, they'll have to deal with that on their own. Yeah, they will. But you have something that is prized. You have the good news of the kingdom. Jesus preached it. He modeled it for us. He paid for it. He was raised for it. And now, he says, I want you to go. Abraham said, listen, they'll have to hear what the prophets are saying. Because even if someone rises from the dead, they won't listen to them. What an interesting concept. Because Jesus himself rose from the grave. For all of us that have a faith, we celebrate that. But we have a mission. And I'm asking you this morning, if you would embrace that mission. C.S. Lewis in the Screw Tape Letters said, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's just 
We'll get around to it. That might be where some of your family members are and some of the others that you know. They're really not bad people. They keep their yards up. They are smiling when they say hi to you. They come over and they, they help you with a project you might have. But there is a slow, gentle idea that, well, when the time of death comes, I think I've been a good person. And I've probably done more good deeds than bad deeds. And, and God's a just God, and so he will look at the good deeds and bad day, deeds, and he will balance those out, and I think I'll be okay. And you know better, because it's not about the good works or the smiles. It's about the transforming power of Jesus. And we have the opportunity to share that good news. And this morning, I pray God has spoken to you. And as we move into our invitation, I would ask you, if you would, to hear what God says. To make the decision in the pew where you are, to say, yes, I'm going to look for those opportunities. Or, you've come here to the front, where I'll be down at the floor. Just say, Pastor, today I want to commit myself to be more aware of my surroundings and the people I'm around. And I'm going to begin to plant seeds of the good news. Would you do that? Maybe it's time to rededicate your life. Maybe it's time for you to accept Christ. Maybe it's time for you to join our fellowship, to focus upon what God wants our church to do, whatever it is. Remember, our focus of worship, the entire worship, is that God now is waiting for our response. This morning, he's waiting for you. Father, Moving to our time of invitation, I specifically ask and pray that you would be with us and you would encourage us to make those decisions that sometimes aren't easy. And sometimes we just want to go about our lives, but we cannot turn a blind eye to what your word says. And your word says that those who do not believe in Christ are condemned already but everybody that calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved and so this morning I pray decisions will be made lives changed not only here but father because of our response this morning it'll change to the community in which you have placed us it's in Jesus' name we pray would you stand and let's sing our invitation.
would be seated if you would. Um, hope you'll take to heart the message and know that it is with compassion that we move forward to see people transformed from darkness to light. We have that good news, so it's a challenge for all of us. We have our closing prayer after uh, Nancy communicates. I, would, I, I want to say thank you for praying for our granddaughter, uh, Hallie. Allie's doing better, but there's still not a real strong diagnosis, and so we've got things that uh, we still have to work through uh, for her. But this morning about 10, one of our little twins, Remy, who had been sick, he fell on the tile, and man, his head just bounced multiple times, and so uh, they've taken him to, we're en route to the hospital, to, uh, to the ER, and uh, he showed signs that weren't really good, and so they called the ambulance, and they've met him somewhere. And uh, so just pray for him, little Remy, Remington. Uh, we would certainly appreciate that. Okay, Nancy. Thank you. The beautiful flowers on the altar table today are provided by Forrest Jean Goff, who on Friday will celebrate 73 years of marriage. Would Ooh. you stand? <laughs> and they're also provided for Lou and Donna Pancoast, who on that same day, next Friday, the 2nd of September, will celebrate 33 years of marriage. Thank you. There are still sign-up sheets in both lobbies, the small lobby and the main lobby. Men, we need you to sign up for the men's breakfast no later than next Thursday. Typically, we give you until the Monday prior to the breakfast to sign up, but the office is closed a week from tomorrow in observance of Labor Day. So if you don't sign today, we need you to call the office no later than Thursday indicating that you are planning to come to the breakfast, which will be on Tuesday the 6th, with Phil Swab as the speaker. There are also sign-ups for the small groups. Today, again, in your bulletin, there was an insert telling you about those small groups, who will be the facilitators, where they will meet, and so forth. There are sign-ups out there for those. And then for Partners on Mission, which will be Wednesday evening, September the 7th, we will have a speaker from Christian Challenge, one of our ministry partners, come and share about that work. But we need you to sign up, and when you sign, indicate what dish you're going to bring for the potluck dinner that evening at 4 o'clock. Ladies, on September 8th, you have a time of pampering, single-only sisters, at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. You've probably seen some flyers around as well as the sign-up sheets out there. So I hope you will take advantage of that. The two, two uh, banners behind me in the choir loft, Back to Church Sunday, and then you've also seen it out in both lobbies, September the 18th. You've read about it in the e-blast. If you've gotten your September um, upbeat, you'll be reading about it some more. But I hope you are encouraging people to come back to Bible study and church that Sunday. It will be a wonderful time of fellowship and celebration. Would you stand now as Jim Jasper comes to lead us in our closing prayer? Please pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love, thank you for your grace, and thank you for your mercy. Lord, first of all, we lift up to you uh, uh, Pastor's little grandson, Remington, Lord, who is a uh, suffered a head injury this morning. 
pray that you would protect him, Lord, that you would touch him with your healing power, Lord. Bless the uh, medical uh, personnel as they deal with him and as they treat him, and pray for his parents and for the family, Lord. Comfort and encourage them. Let them know that you are uh, involved in this situation. You are at work, and Lord, we uh, thank you for their granddaughter, Hallie, for the improvement she has made. Pray that you would continue to bless her as she recovers and recuperates and as they uh, uh, treat her symptoms. And Lord, we thank you for the fellowship that we have uh, had this morning at church and Lord, for the encouragement that we have received and that we have given to others. Lord, we thank you for your message that you gave to us through Pastor Kirby's message. Pray that you would help us to uh, take that into our hearts and to meditate on it. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, as the uh, uh, church gathered becomes the church going out into the world. Fill us with your spirit as we share your love with others and as we plant the seed of your word to those that we meet and interact with. Lord, be with us, guide and direct us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.